Welcome to Political Theater. This is Jason Dick. We are roughly one year out from the 2020 election. It feels like we've been preparing for it our entire lives, but in reality, it's only been, you know, roughly a year since the last big election in 2018. Here at uh, CQ Roll Call, we like to break down things that revolve around the Congress, especially. Uh, of course, we love the presidential race, but we love House and Senate races a little bit more. Uh, one of our traditions here is to break out the most vulnerable incumbents in Congress, and to break it down for us is our political team, Simone Pathé, Bridget Bowman, and Stephanie Aiken. Welcome, all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Uh, let's, before we get into the 10 most vulnerable House and Senate incumbents, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, this project. This takes a lot of time. You interview a lot of people. You look a lot of, at a lot of polling. Uh, you look at historical trends. This is a fairly big project. Who wants to just give like the elevator pitch uh, for, if you will, for how uh, how you go about compiling the 10 most vulnerable incumbents list? So it starts by locking ourselves in a room for a week. <laughs> Simone, <laughs> that sounds so great. You know, like <laughs> I, I love you, you got us already. <laughs> uh, we schedule a lot of conference calls and we talk to a lot of people around town and in the states as well to try to get a sense of what they're seeing and what they're hearing and what kind of information they might be privy to that we don't know. Um, so we're hearing some information off the record or on background that might not make it explicitly into the write-ups, but are informing how we're ranking these people. So it's a lot of what you said. It's poll numbers. Um, it's sort of that that gut feeling you get about a district and whether you think it's going to flip or not. Um, one important thing to note is that we are not exclusively looking at districts that flip. A lot of people around town tend to say, oh, these are the districts that are going to change hands or the Senate seats that are going to change hands. We're really interested in incumbents because we care about lawmakers and capital here, here at Roll Call. We want to know who's coming back and who's not. So we're looking just at the most vulnerable incumbents, who's most likely to lose. So we ignore the open seats. And we do factor in uh, ratings from inside elections, too, into this process. Awesome. All right, let's get right into the uh, most vulnerable incumbents. Then let's start with the Senate, because this, it seems like there has been some sort of shift in the last couple of months or so where there are more people possibly at play on the Senate board than before. We're going to start in descending order. Uh, we'll start with number 10, uh, and that will be uh, somebody on your list, Bridget. That's right. Uh, so the 10th most vulnerable senator is uh, Republican Senator John Cornyn from Texas. Um, the Democrats are really excited about Texas this cycle because Congressman Beto O'Rourke came so close to defeating Senator Ted Cruz in 2018. But some folks acknowledge Cornyn might be a tougher opponent. Um, and kind of in terms of the big picture, what you'll see on the Senate list is that Democrats are really the ones on offense this cycle to win back the Senate. They're going to have to either get a net gain of three or four Senate seats, depending on if they win the White House as well. Uh, so most of the list is Republicans uh, starting at the bottom. Number 10, like you said, is Senator Cornyn. And part of the reason for this is that because you we only elect uh, a third of the Senate each cycle, I mean, sometimes you get these weird disparities depending on how election previous election cycles have gone. In 2018, it was a nightmare for Democrats. <laughs> they, <laughs> they had 23 or 24 seats to uh, to defend, and now it's like the mirror image. Now, now Republicans are on, on that same defensive. All right, number nine. 
Simone, you're up. Jean Shaheen of New Hampshire. Um, okay. She is an incumbent who is on this list largely because of the state she's in. So Always a swing state. Always a swing state. Um, in 2016, Hillary Clinton barely won here, I think, by less than half a percentage point. Um, so even though I wouldn't say the Republican field is looking super strong right now to take out Shaheen, given that anything can happen in the Granite State, she deserves a spot here near the end. All right. You also have number eight. Yeah. Number eight is David Perdue of Georgia. Um, Georgia is going to be a fascinating state to watch in 2020, not only because there are so many races up and down the ballot, two Senate races now with Johnny Isaacson uh, resigning at the end of this year. Also, a lot of competitive House races, potential presidential battleground. Um, but it's also just the site of so much demographic change with so many people moving into the state. So Purdue is really one of those Republicans who could be in a tight spot because on the one hand, he needs to turn out loyal Trump-based Republican voters. And he's one of the president's closest allies. One of the president's well. closest allies, clearly not backing away from the president, um, but also knows that he runs the risk of turning off a lot of these sort of affluent, well-educated suburban voters in Metro Atlanta um, who are not a fan of the president. Um, and he needs to appeal to both of those sides if he's going to win re-election. Bridget, uh, number seven uh, is some reporting that I saw you uh, conducting when we were in Iowa. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, it seems like we were just there. Yes, back um, in August. It's been months, but it feels it's time is compressed. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so coming in at number seven is Senator Joni Ernst. Um, she is looking vulnerable. So on the surface, Iowa might seem like it's a Republican state, has a Republican governor. Um, President Trump won it by nine points in 2016. But uh, folks on both sides are saying this race could be competitive, noting that in 2018, Democrats found some success flipping a couple House seats there. Um, and Senator Ernst was recently outraised by her one of her Democratic opponents who's been endorsed by Democrats here in Washington, uh, Teresa Greenfield. Greenfield does still have a primary to get through to, to take on Ernst, but it looks like it's going to be a competitive race. All right. Number six, we jump back to Simone uh, and you go up to the industrial north uh the industrial Midwest. There yes, we go. <laughs> Gary Peters of Michigan. Um, he is most likely facing off against John James. James challenged Debbie Stabenow in 2018. He lost by about six points. Um, Peters is not regarded as as much of an institution in the state, of course, as Stabenow, just because she's been there longer. Um, but he has some characteristics and military background, for example, that could mitigate part of James's appeal. National Republicans here in D.C. are very excited. He also rides a motorcycle all over the he place. He does. He does. <laughs> and has a great beard. As a, as a bearded American, I, I no comment. You know, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> but Michigan will certainly be a state to watch. Obviously, it got away from Democrats in 2016 with Trump carrying it. Last year, Democrats made a lot of gains, um, gaining the, the governor's mansion and also flipping a couple of Trump districts at the House level. Uh, let's head to Maine, Simone, which is your spirit state. It's favorite state. <laughs> uh, Susan Collins. This will absolutely be a race to watch. Um, Collins has gotten by in the past by double-digit margins in every other election she's faced. Talk about an institution. An institution in the Pine Tree State, absolutely. She's so popular, or at least has been, and this will really be a test of whether that independent moderate brand uh, we'll be able to carry the day for her going forward. Obviously, her vote for Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh is, is sort of the sticking point here. Um, regardless of how much damage it does to her politically, it's been a huge boon to Democrats who were able to raise nearly $4 million uh, in a sort of crowdfunded uh assembly of money to, to be used for her eventual opponent. So uh, it'll be a very expensive race. 
I think it is kind of worth noting when talking about Senator Collins, too. She's one of two Republicans running for re-election in the state that Clinton won. Mm-hmm. But she's not number one on the list. Despite, no. Like, she's at number five, which yeah. is kind of, to your point, an interesting sign of her personal strength. Definitely. And Maine being such a unique state, too, given that it splits its electoral votes in the presidential race, you've got almost two different states going on in one state here politically. You have the Canadian part of the state in the north. <laughs> 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 and then you have the coastal part. Uh, uh, Northern Massachusetts. Just kidding. Yes. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's head back down south uh, to number four. And that's you, Tim- you Simone. Yes. Again. Number four is Tom Tillis of North Carolina, also facing his first reelection to the Senate. He is in kind of a bind right now because he also faces a primary challenge. So before he even gets to the general election, uh, he has reserved two million dollars in the off year for TV advertising. To try Sounds to- like real money to me. Real money. Boost that name ID as quickly as possible. Um, He is not backing away from President Trump, as we have seen in the last couple months. One might expect that he would, especially given some earlier results we saw in North Carolina this year in the special election in the 9th District, was evidence that a lot of these suburban areas that we knew weren't so hot on President Trump definitely are still not that excited about the president. Um, Tillis, however, is leaning into the administration pretty hard. Um, Because he's got to get through a primary, right? He's got to get through a primary. So it's that classic dance that we see a lot of incumbents do. Right. Uh, number three, uh, let's go to the best state ever, uh, Arizona. And Are that's you, you Bridget. Are you familiar with Arizona? <laughs> Just slightly, sure. slightly. Okay. <laughs> um, so at number three is Senator Martha McSally. And as our listeners probably remember, she ran unsuccessfully for Senate in 2018, but was then appointed to the seat uh, that was held by the late Senator John McCain. So this race is to fill the last two years of his term. Um, She is running against a very strong Democrat uh, who's been able to raise kind of an eye-popping amount of money. Uh, Democrat Mark Kelly is running against her. He, of course, is a former astronaut, married. Th- that would that would normally be just enough to be famous to be a fam- fam- uh, right. famous astronaut. But then, as you said, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, yeah, he he yeah. is married to former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, and the two of them have you know used the last several years going across the country talking about gun control. Um, so he has been out raising Senator McSally for the last couple quarters, which is notable because McSally herself had a reputation of a as a very strong fundraiser. And so Arizona, again, likely to be a presidential battleground. Democrats see shifting demographics here as moving in their favor as well. All right. Uh, Number two, uh, let's go a little bit north of the the Grand Canyon state Mm -hmm. to Colorado. So Senator Cory Gardner is at number two Republican senator. Uh, Again, him and Collins are the two Republicans in Clinton states. Uh, Clinton carried Colorado by five points, so that alone is going to make this a pretty tough race for Gardner. Democrats also kind of ran the table in 2018, found success in statewide offices. A blue wave really kind of crashed into Colorado, and they're hoping it's going to carry Senator Gardner out of office. And there we also have Democrat uh, former Governor John Hickenlooper running, um, who dropped out of the presidential race to challenge Gardner. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of those fascinating kind of states of just— talk about like how how much like Democrats are banking on some demographic changes that that uh, Jared Polis former congressman you know in in what could have been a close race was not close at all almost at any point I mean he won by 10 points and and right. and it wasn't particularly uh, close and it, it it seems like Gardner even though he has this very good personal brand mm-hmm. uh, and is a is a likable person uh, he 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 is kind of 
he's got an uphill climb. Yeah, Democrats like to point out that the Republican that ran against Polis in the governor's race uh, got 100,000 more votes than Gardner did when he ran in 2014, but still lost by 10 points. Um, so it's looking like it's going to be pretty tough for Senator Gardner. All right. The number one most vulnerable incumbent senator uh, for, for the 2020 race, at least one year out, is... This will probably not be surprising to people. It's uh, Senator Doug Jones from Alabama, a Democrat in Alabama, unsurprisingly pretty vulnerable. Uh, this is a state that President Trump won by 28 points. And so as a Democrat, it's going to be really tough uh, for Senator Jones, just given just the partisan lean of the state. As a reminder, he won a special election in December 2017 uh, to fill the seat uh, vacated by former senator, former attorney general Jeff Sessions, who's also now thinking about running. Um, the Republican primary there is pretty crowded and contentious, so Democrats think that that could be a problem for Republicans. But Doug Jones is going to need Republicans to vote for Trump and then also vote for him, and it looks like that's going to be tough given the higher turnout that's expected in, in the presidential year. Let's let's now jump across the rotunda, or I guess we could skip or sachet or, or walk or, or however we would choose to go from the Senate uh, over to the House and talk about the most vulnerable House incumbents. Uh, at number 10, uh, we have uh, actually just a short drive from Washington, D.C., uh, Scott Perry in Pennsylvania. And that's you, Bridget. That's right. Uh, so Congressman Perry is one of the few Republicans on this list. Uh, Democrats, after flipping the House in 2018, largely on defense this cycle. Republicans are, are on offense. Um, but Congressman Perry comes in at number 10 on this list. Uh, so as a reminder, Pennsylvania got a new congressional map in 2018. So this is the second election under that new map. And Congressman Perry very narrowly won re-election in 2018, which Democrats saw as a sign that he could be vulnerable in 2020. And he's also on this list because a lot of races are still taking shape, but he has a pretty clear Democratic opponent in Eugene uh, DePasquale, uh, the state auditor who won this district in 2016. In his state auditor race, he would have won the district. So um, he's raising a good amount of money. So Democrats are feeling pretty optimistic about this race. Uh, back to Iowa. That's also you again, uh, yep. Bridget. Abby Finkenauer, <laughs> yep. a Democrat from Iowa. So Congresswoman Finkenauer is one of the 31 Democrats running for re-election in a district that President Trump won uh, in 2016. Um, we have her on the list. It's kind of interesting. So there are two Democrats in Iowa that flip Trump districts, Finkenauer and Congresswoman Cindy Axney. We have Finkenauer on this list. Um, folks on both sides are kind of looking at her district as maybe better territory for Republicans. It's a little less suburban than Axney's district, um, a little less educated uh, kind of has some dynamics that could signal that it could back Trump again in 20, uh, 2020. So she's looking a little vulnerable. And she's also running against uh, someone who Republicans say is a top recruit in state representative Ashley Hinson. Gotcha. Uh, at number eight, Simone. Yeah, a little bit of a wild card here. Colin Peterson of Minnesota. So mm -hmm. most of the Democrats on this list are freshmen because they recently flipped Trump districts. Mm -hmm. Peterson has been in the House since 1991. Not so a freshman. Not a freshman at all. <laughs> Chairman of the Agriculture Committee. He's been around for a while. Um, but he represents a heavily agrarian rural district that voted for Trump by 31 points. Um, despite having a pretty strong personal brand in the district, Peterson himself only won re-election by four points and then five points the previous two cycles, despite winning 
start running against a very weak Republican challenger. Um, next year, Republicans are putting up a former lieutenant governor who could be pretty formidable. So Peterson, if he does run, he hasn't officially said that he's going to run for reelection. Um, could be in a tight spot. Worth noting, if he doesn't run, it's likely an automatic Republican flip. And just to, like a little bit of context there, too, Peterson has long been the top Democrat on the Agriculture Committee, which is, is one of those sort of things you can plug into in a, in a district like this that is agrarian. He is also one of only two Democrats to vote against the, uh, the impeachment inquiry rules that the mm-hmm. House passed uh, on uh, um, October 31st. And so, I mean, th- he's obviously aware of some of these like pressures, you know, that, that are, yeah. are happening. And he's also yeah. a strong backer of Nancy Pelosi as well. So it's it, there is a complicated sort of he political is. identity there. Politically, he's a very interesting figure. I've spent a lot of time with him in his district traveling around. Um, all of his friends and supporters that I met are Republicans, and they all openly say Colin is the last Democrat who can hold this seat. He is very open about the fact that he did not vote for Hillary Clinton, for example. Um, I don't know too many other members of the Democratic caucus who would admit that. All right. Uh, number seven uh, in in New Mexico, we have a, another freshman a Democrat, uh, uh, Zochil Torres-Small. And that's you, Stephanie. Yes. Um, so here's another one that's on, on our list, um, partly because of the, the um, partisan makeup of the district. Um, it's a district that went for Trump by 10 points. In 2016, Torres-Small won by a pretty narrow margin in 2018. Um, so it's something that Republicans are looking at as 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 a good target for them. Um, but it's also a place where Torres-Small, um, Democrats have said that she is a really good match for the district. It's a rural district. She's a water rights attorney. Um, in 2018, her campaign video- That videos, matters in the West, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and her campaign video showed her out with her rifle. Um, and, and Democrats think that she's, she's just a perfect fit there. Um, also- in 2020, she's probably um, there's a good chance that she's going to face um, Yvette Harrell, who yes. um, who she won against in okay. 2018. So, so a rematch. Yeah. Right. Well, and also Republicans are pretty excited about another woman who um, would be in the Republican primary, but she also has a little bit of an issue there because um, um, of a Facebook video that has come out recently where she was pretty critical of President Trump. Um, so that both of those factors are, are reasons why um, Taurus Small is a little bit lower on our list. And we also have the the president saying that he's going to make an effort to try to flip New Mexico. I mean, like that's uh, it, that may that may work out for them or not. Uh, I think people are fairly skeptical of a of a Republican winning the state, but it will certainly attract a lot of attention and and particularly to a member like this. Yes. Yeah. All right, number six, Bridget, back to you. So number six is uh, Congressman Anthony Brindisi from New York. Uh, He is in a very Trump district. Of the freshman Democrats that flipped seats last cycle, his was the most Trumpy, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trump (laughs) carried it by 15 points in 2016. Uh, He is a former assemblyman from the area as well, so he kind of had a voting base going into 2018. Um, So Democrats are fairly confident that he's a pretty strong uh, incumbent, but just as we've been saying, kind of the partisan nature of the district is going to make this tough for him. It is possible that he could face uh, former Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, who he defeated last cycle. She's running again. Uh, and Democrats see that as a as a good thing for them. Uh, she's known to make some controversial statements and things. Um, but still, just going to be a tough race. He's going to need people who like the president to, to support him as well. 
All right, back to the Mountain West at number five. Uh, that's you again, Stephanie. Uh, ben McAdams. Ben McAdams, yes. Um, so McAdams is the only uh, Democrat in uh, the Utah delegation. Um, so his district went for Trump by seven points in 2016. And McAdams, again, won a really, really, really close race against um, Republican Mia Love, um, who also didn't have a lot of help from President Trump at the end. Um, so he's in a kind of a tough position. But he's also, um, he's got a lot of name rec- recognition. He was the Salt Lake County mayor um, before he he ran for Congress. Um, He's pretty popular in his district, and he's someone that Democrats say um, has been doing everything that he needs to do um, to be in a good place in 2020. Um, But then again, um, it looks like um, there's a lot of Republicans who want to take him on in 2020. One of them um, is a state senator. His name is Dan Hemmert, who um, has some ties to Mitt Romney, who is extremely popular in Utah. There we go. It gets weirder and weirder, you know, with all the different allegiances and loyalties. Um, all right, number four. Uh, let's skip uh, back across the country to Staten Island, Brooklyn, uh, and Max Rose. Yeah, we have another New York Democrat here at number four. Uh, again, a pro-Trump district. And Trump is pretty popular in Staten Island. Uh, Congressman Rose is kind of known as a kind of blunt talking. He's from New uh, York, you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Folks on both sides acknowledge he's a pretty strong candidate, somebody that connects well with voters there. Uh, Republican leaders have kind of signaled that their preferred candidate to take him on is Assemblywoman Nicole Maliotakis. It does look like she could have a bit of a primary there. There's always the question mark, is former Congressman Michael Grimm going to run? He obviously served prison time um, a few years ago and could maybe shake up a Republican primary there. But for now, Republican leaders are really trying to signal that they want Maliotakis to be the one to take on Congressman Rose. Simone, at number three, we've got uh, Joe Cunningham. Cunningham is from the Charleston area in South Carolina, um, another Trump district, won by about 11 points. We sound like a broken record here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a fascinating place because this was the Mark Sanford seat for a long time. And Cunningham won probably in no small part because Sanford lost in a primary. Trump had endorsed his primary opponent actually the afternoon of the primary, (laughs) uh, which was part of the reason that he lost. And so Cunningham came out strongly against offshore drilling, his Republican opponent who had defeated Sanford was a little bit more iffy on the issue. This is obviously an area where uh, climate change and rising seawaters are a big deal. Um, And so it's one of the few areas in the country where already you've seen Republicans start to vote on this issue and actually vote for Democrats because of climate change. All right. Number two. Bridget, back to you. We're mixing it up. Throwing a Republican in here. Um, So at number two is California Congressman Duncan Hunter. Um, this might be kind of surprising because the 50th district in California is fairly Republican. San Diego but, area. Yes. Yep. Military, you know, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is an issue where kind of the, the, circum- the unique circumstances around Congressman Hunter play a big factor. Uh, so he has been indicted for misuse of campaign funds, has had a lot of negative stories about kind of personal things that he's done. Um, he, Got a House Ethics Committee investigation against him as well, yes. as well as the DOJ looking at his his finances. Yes. yes. Uh, so he narrowly won re-election in 2018 against the Democrat, and given the partisan lean of the district was a real sign of his vulnerability. And now going into 2020, that same Democrat, Amar Campanajar, is running again. But he also, Hunter is also facing two potentially well-funded Republican opponents in former Congressman Daryl Issa and Carl DeMaio, who is a radio talk 
show host um, ran unsuccessfully for Congress a couple of years ago, has already raised a good amount of money. Um, so he has a primary problem. He has a, a general election problem as well. And California also, we have this, we have the jungle primary too. So like, I mean, it's everybody's ranked, right? You yeah. Know, so it's a, it's a little, there's a little different dynamic in primary season. It too. is kind of yeah. funky. The system in California is the top two uh, system. So the top two vote getters, regardless of party advance to the general election. Yeah, so you could end up with two Republicans who are not named right. <laughs> Duncan Hunter uh, go to the general. I mean, that's somewhat unlikely, but it mm-hmm. is it, it lends itself to a little different dynamic. All right, and the number one most uh, vulnerable House incumbent, Stephanie Aiken, who is that? Who's number one? This is another one that probably wouldn't surprise anybody who has been following these races. Both Republicans and Democrats that we talked to said that we should take a look at her. It's um, uh, a Democrat, Kendra Horn, uh, in Oklahoma City. Um, so she um, was a surprise upset victory in 2018. Um, she ran against um, Steve Russell, who um, um, a lot of people said didn't really um run a, a race um and so in her district trump won by 14 points in 2016 horn won by one point in 2018 that's another thing that has a lot of people looking at the district as um as a target um is it oklahoma city oklahoma very, city yeah and, yeah and again yeah on even on a very strong democratic night this this was my biggest surprise i was like really it was like, on <laughs> no one's radar right yeah nobody nobody knew this <laughs> this race was coming right yeah. Um, so a Democrat hasn't represented that area for 40 years. Right. Um, and also in um, in 2020, um, Republicans are really excited about both of um, or two women who are, are going to be in a primary challenge. Um, uh, Stephanie Bice and Terry Neese. Um, Stephanie Bice is a, a state senator. Terry Neese is a businesswoman. Um, both of them have um, been doing um, some pretty steady fundraising. Um, but Democrats argue that the district is, is changing and that people underestimate how much and that it really is a district that's starting to look a lot more like some of the suburban districts, like um, the suburban districts in, in Kansas City, for example, where Democrats um, made a lot of uh, uh, made a lot of um, headway. Grant, in, yeah, in I mean, Sharice Davids, you know, who is not on this list, she she flipped a Republican seat in the Kansas City area, as, as you said. Uh, in in uh, in Kansas, so well, uh, we have. I, I really appreciate. It. This is a lot of information and a lot of people, but I think that this is just. I mean, this is one of the more uh, exciting and fun things that we do uh, as as a team, and it's always uh, it's, it's always one of our uh, funnest things to read for me. Uh, Stephanie, Simone, Bridget, thank you for running through the these twenty names. Thanks for having us. Thanks, right. thank you. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.